Yeah, and it's a bit of a longer one, even though the passage we're looking at is relatively short. So we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24 to chapter 2, verse 7. Even though it's a relatively short chap- uh, section, we're going to be, it's, it's actually, there's so much in it. Um, so Colossians chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 20, uh, 24. And we are looking at the ESV version, if you've got it on your little uh, devices. So my first question is this. Uh, if you knew a young person who was just about to decide uh, you know, um, their career, and, and we have a couple in the church, um, what would you say if they were going to, thinking about the, uh, the Christian ministry, going into the church, maybe becoming a pastor, or, uh, becoming a church worker? Now, part of me, and I, I think it's my Chinese background, forgive me if I'm being racist, but I think uh, my Chinese background uh, says, you know, I can hear kind of like my parents and parents of many of my friends saying, but what does it make? How much money do they make? So, sorry, starting, we're going to be starting at verse 24. Okay, uh, so uh, are you going to be able to support a family on that? Uh, they don't earn much. Um, and that would be my concern. And my English background uh, is is more concerned with, I think, the well-being. It's the uh, it's the um, well, it's difficult. Um, what about the politics in the church? Um, there's all kinds of divisions and upheavals in the church at the moment. Um, what uh, and and those uh, since I've got lots of. Uh, Friends who are in the ministry, I, 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 th- I, I worry about. I would worry about the hard work they would face. Gone are the day. You know, the is the image of the nice church pastor of this small village who kind of ambles around and goes and visits people and has people around for nice cups of tea and kind of pick, uh, sticks their nose into other people's business. Being a Christian pastor is hard work. It involves lots of work. Meeting up with people is hard work, especially when you don't feel like it. But I wonder whether you would start talking to them about suffering. Whether you would warn them about suffering. You see, Paul suffered for his ministry. He suffered greatly. He was stoned. Uh, a few times. He was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, and ultimately he went to his death. And he doesn't like to show off about it, but he brings it up in this passage. So we kind of have to wonder why. Let's uh, read Colossians. We're going to be starting at chapter 1, verse 24, and until chapter 2, verse 7. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word fully, uh, of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, toil, struggling with all his energies, that he powerfully works within me. For I want to know, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may, be delu- uh, may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, uh, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we know that you have promised to be with us as we meet for you and for your word. Lord, we pray that you are revealing those hidden mysteries uh, to us through your spirit. That you are showing us your son, Christ. That you are talking through Paul's words to us. That you can change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Do keep the Bible in front of you. Uh, do uh, keep uh, looking at it because I will pick, uh, be picking uh, this uh, passage apart. In um, there's a lot in there, and I won't be able to cover everything. Um, so it's it's good for you to be checking what I say. Uh, it's important that you check what I say. So uh, there are two things I want to show about you from this passage today, and they go very much in hand in hand. The first is Paul's purpose for the letter. And the second is Paul's ministry. It's easy to see God's purpose in verse 4, isn't it? Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, I don't think I'm ruining it for uh, Craig's sermon next week. uh, But one of the main purposes of Paul's letter to the Colossians is to warn them against false teachers to those who would uh, drag them away from the gospel, to those who would uh, make, uh, in verse 8, he says, see that no one take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. In verse 11, uh, this is in chapter 2, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. And in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels. So there's a very real danger of if they listen to these false teachers who would teach them something other than the gospel, they would take them away from their Christian roots. And this is what Paul's concerned about. We also see it in chapter 1, where in verse 9, we see Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, walking in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. And in verse 10, being strengthened in verse 11 that they are uh, because they are qualified verse 12 they are delivered verse 13 uh, and have redemption and forgiveness of sins in verse 14 
You see, he is making sure that they know what they already have. In verse 23, there's a cautionary warning. If indeed you continue in faith, if indeed you continue in faith, as a guard against them falling away or being drawn away and losing out on the hope of the gospel. Paul is very much concerned for these people who he's never met. In fact, in verse 15 to 20, as Paul, uh, as, as Craig talked about last week, Craig is not Paul, uh, as Craig gave a sermon last week, Paul launches into a wonderful explanation of how Jesus is central to everything. The ESV entitles it uh, The Preeminence of Christ, and Craig uh, entitled his sermon The Supremacy of Christ last week. Like anyone who is advising somebody who is thinking about straying, maybe cheating on their partner, their husband, their wife, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, the first advice that they would do is that they would talk about their current partner, how wonderful they are, remind them how wonderful that is, talk about all the good things that they would be losing out on and ruining. And this is what Paul's doing. He holds up Christ, how wonderful he is, and what amazing things he has done for them. Don't take away from that. You see, sometimes we forget, don't we? We need a reminder how wonderful Christ, uh, what wonderful things Christ did for us. He died for us. But there are times when even that is not enough. And we resist, and that is a willful disobedience in us, that desire to reject and go our own way. So Paul goes on. So why does Paul talk about this next, in this next section, about suffering? What on earth is he talking about right at the start in verse 24? This thing where he says, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Those of you who have been... Yeah, uh, well churched or been a Christian for a while, that should have struck a very strange chord. Certainly does every time I read it. Well, what it definitely cannot be saying is that Christ's suffering was not enough. We see so many times all through the Bible, especially in Paul's writing, that we are saved through faith. That is Paul's big thing. We are saved through faith. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. If you read Romans, the whole of the first half is knocking down every argument against religion and going back to Judaism or saying that you need something more. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need the uh, religion to save you. It is Christ alone that does that. He ridicules every idea of us earning salvation in Romans. We also see here in this passage, and it's always good to tally things up with this passage so that we can be certain of what he says, because Paul is no fool. We see the intellect as he, uh, and academia as he, he reads his writing. It's very clear arguments, but draws on very complex ideas sometimes. 
So in chapter 1, we see that we are being qualified in verse 12. Delivered from the dominion of darkness in verse 13. We have redemption in uh, 14 and forgiveness of sin. We were reconciled in verse 20 through his blood on the cross. And again reconciled in verse 22. The fact that this passage... Uh, The fact is that this passage has been misinterpreted, and you might have heard uh, the old Catholic idea of purgatory. So if you haven't heard of it before, it's the idea that some people are not good enough to get to heaven, and so they go to this this place, I always imagine kind of little cubicles with grey walls, uh, where you suffer for a while somewhere between heaven and hell, and you suffer until you become holy enough to get to heaven. Well, this teaching makes a complete mockery of Jesus' death, doesn't it? It says Jesus' death is not enough. And that's a shocking teaching, isn't it? The death of God is not enough to pay for your sins. That his blood did not wash us clean and give us full assurance. Again, a teaching that we see again and again. Full assurance and access to heaven. Jesus says to the thief on the cross next to him. He says, today I will see you in paradise. Not uh, after a thousand years of suffering. And that was a deathbed confession. That thief said... Uh, you know, called out to Jesus at that moment and Jesus said I will, today I will see you in, in paradise so what's going on here notice that Paul says that he is suffering for their sake filling up the uh, afflictions for the sake of the body which is the church well this is the biblical idea and it may seem a little strange to us that Christians this body of Christians in uh, the, the, the last times will suffer a set amount, a specific amount. Maybe there's a clock on it. I don't know. It's, it's, um, and the more that Paul suffers, the less that Christ's body, the church, suffers. It does say Christ is suffering here. And Paul would have known that in a first hand. When on the Damascus Road, Jesus appears to Paul and say, says, Why are you persecuting me, Paul? As the church suffers, Christ suffers. And Paul is saying that the more he suffers, he is taking on the burden of suffering for the rest of the church. Now, again, that might seem a little strange to us. But I think a possible way to think about this, and uh, I know there are many parents in the room, um, is the idea of suffering for your children. Suffering more so that um, so that they will suffer less. I saw this a lot in the Chinese community as, as I was uh, as I was growing up. I'm sure it's not solely uh, kind of a, a Chinese thing, uh, but to take on a second job or saying sorry, we're not going away this holiday, and making sure and giving everything so that your children have everything, especially a good private school education. That was the thing that was held up. They would bust the gut to make sure their children have that private school education, even if they are uh, 
missing out on nice clothes or a holiday or any of the, the comforts at home. So, Paul is suffering so that we can suffer less. Paul is enduring great pain and suffering so, and hoping that one day uh, Christ's return will come sooner. Because the more he suffers, Christ will come sooner. That suffering will be filled up. So why does Paul talk about his suffering? He doesn't often show off about his suffering. In fact, he doesn't really show off about it here. He just mentions it in passing. It seems that Paul wants to demonstrate, he wants to separate himself from these false teachers. He wants to demonstrate what, uh, what uh, genuine Christian ministry looks like. Certainly we have heard of, uh, heard of if not met, leaders and pastors of churches who are treated like rock stars. Christian leaders, and you might imagine that uh, stereotypical American evangelist with the, uh, the gold chains, the gold rings, the Porsche or the Ferrari, who were treated and put up, and, and, but they're not servants, are they? They're not suffering. It seems as if Paul is setting himself apart from these people. Paul is not talking about his own glory. He is constantly going on about Christ's glory. How many of these pastors and church leaders would go through the suffering that Paul had and eventually going on to his death? Craig mentioned it last week that in, uh, in the men's Bible study we are studying John's Gospel and uh, in chapter 10 Jesus talks about himself as the shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. Paul is following in Jesus' footsteps here. Not the hired hands who will run away as soon as danger appears. Jesus sets himself apart from these others these religious leaders at the time who would not suffer for their people, who rather set themselves up with their glory rather than God's glory. And this is what Paul is doing. He is setting himself apart from these false leaders. So if we want to take on the mantle of church leadership, church ministry, then we should be looking to Paul's, uh, Paul's suffering and obviously Jesus' suffering and death. So what does Paul also show as a mark of uh, gospel ministry? Um, in verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. Him. God, Christ, Jesus is who we proclaim. Surely that is at the centre. That makes that makes sense, doesn't it? It's just surely that makes sense. It's in the name, isn't it? Christian. Christ is there. And at B, uh, IBCBI, we go on about how the Bible is cent uh, central. But there are churches out there where you will go to a sermon. I've been, you know, I met, like to, to visit other churches. 
especially the ones in my local area, just to see what the churches are like. And far too often I listen to a sermon and I don't hear a single thing about God or Christ. Sadly, far too often in schools, the chaplains, sometimes they're forbidden, sometimes they just can't be bothered. They're trying to thread that political, politically correct line. And you won't hear anything about this amazing salvation that you have, about this amazing person that Jesus is and what he's done for you. We see again in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, that he struggles even for those who he has not met. That could be you and me, couldn't it? Those he has not met, he is struggling. We also see in verse 28 that Paul is willing to warn them. In some versions, uh, I think the NIV says, the, the word is admonishing. And in some churches, that is a bad word. The pastor, the church leader, wants to be this lovely, warm person who would never say a harsh word. Warm and kind and welcome. Come and talk to me. Come and have, have some tea with me. Um, but it's a true friend who says the harsh word, isn't it? Or the truth, the harsh truth. Maybe not in a harsh manner. Make it as gentle as possible. But the truth, which can be harsh... It's the true friend that admonishes you if you would be tempted to stray away. Are you surrounding yourself with those people? Or are you surrounding yourself with sycophants? People who are just nice and tell you nice things. If you are tempted to stray, which of your friends would say, don't go there. Don't be an idiot. That's a harsh thing, isn't it? Say, don't be an idiot. But hopefully you have friends who would say that. Unfortunately, I've, I've dropped friends who in the past who I have said, look, this is wrong what you're doing. And, and they, they've rejected, uh, yeah, they've, they've been very kind of aggressive in their, their rejection of that. And so I've let those friendships fall. See, it's a very unfashionable word. Is your church, let's hope that the church that you visit or go to has this attitude and if you go to a church in the future and, and often we do see people just for a short season pick your churches carefully we also see in uh, verse 29 the idea that Paul is toiling putting in a good shift of hard work but what is he using his energy that he, uh, he powerfully works, Paul's energy that he powerfully works in me. See, there is no uh, idea, no hint here of uh, this thing we hear, let go and let God. Have you heard that before, that phrase, let go and let God? Now, that phrase is very useful if you're talking about your worries and cares. Let go of your worries and let God care about those things. But when it comes to doing Christian work, we should follow in Paul's footsteps here. Working powerfully, yeah, using all his energy that, uh, that he powerfully works in, uh, in us. 
We have to work as hard as we can as power, God is power, working fully and powerfully in us. Christian ministry is hard work and it can involve suffering. Be very suspicious of people who tell you otherwise. The teaching I'm talking about specifically is often called prosperity gospel. It's very, very popular nowadays, especially in Asia. My cousin who is uh, working in Hong Kong says that the big churches there, there is very, a lot of prosperity gospel. I know that the mega churches in Korea and, and one of the two other churches in Singapore have the same prosperity gospel that means that become a christian and you will receive health wealth and happiness there's a big church in in london that i know preaches this every sunday become a christian praise god and you will gain health wealth and happiness this is not a biblical message yes god does he promised us this great things Truth and peace and eternity. Some of you may not think truth is always a great thing. It's a painful thing, but it's a good thing. Truth and perfect peace and eternity. That promise of heaven where all pain will disappear. He will wipe away every tear. Imagine eternity without pain as opposed to the short time we have on earth. Yes. This life as a Christian will be a painful one. You see that that kind of preaching soon uh, soon evaporates in the face of suffering, doesn't it? And we're told in the Bible that the Christian life will involve suffering. I also want to point out, and, and this is. We're coming up to the end. Uh, I also want to point out that Epaphras, who it seems that Epaphras, who, who set up the church, must have warned Paul about these, the danger of these false teachers that the, uh, the Colossians would face. His words in the passage seem to be using buzzwords that false teachers might use. So it's something worth pointing out here. So... He might have talked about what is lacking in verse 24. Paul talks about what is lacking. In verse 26, Paul mentions the hidden mystery, but then clearly states in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, that this mystery is now fully revealed. And that mystery is Christ. So that word, mystery, you can imagine these false teachers. Ah, you're a Christian. But do you know this extra mystery, this extra hidden treasure? I've certainly had friends who have been to cults who have come to, to ask me. Uh, I told you about a former student who actually this last week, um, he, his opening sentence was a little bit cryptic. He said, so have, have you heard about uh, the eternal mother? It's like, no, I don't know about this. Uh, and he, he then went on to reveal that this uh, Korean guy said, uh, was teaching him about um, that uh, Christ came, was born again as a Korean. That there was this mis hidden mystery. So 
that most of the other Christian uh, population uh, hadn't heard of. For some reason, this was the same form, a former student who got involved with the cult. For some reason, he seems to attract them. I, don't, I haven't come across many cults. I've come across the Mormons and the, uh, um, the, the JWs. But on the street, I don't come across. Maybe it's just because I have that you know, um, set face that I just don't want to talk to people on the street. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't come across too many. But a lot of my friends talk to me about the, 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 uh, the cults that they come across. And a lot, of the, a lot of the time, if they're Christian cults, they will talk about this hidden treasure or this hidden mystery or this mystery, you know, uh, this secret that the rest of the Christian population do not know about. And uh, you see, the mystery is Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Before Christ was revealed, the Christians or the, the people of God before those there just had to trust God. They looked forward to that day when that salvation would be revealed. The prophecies speak of these things. And you can understand why Paul, above anyone else, would know these mysteries. And he was baffled by them in the Old Testament. You see, he talks about himself as the, uh, the Pharisee among Pharisees. That he studied under Gamaliel, the great teacher. Before he was converted, Paul, who would who would have been Saul, spent his life studying the scriptures, poring over every word, debating controversies, intellectually uh, discussing the hidden depths of the prophecies. And then he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. And then every one of those controversies, every one of those mysteries, every one of those prophecies all of a sudden clicks into place. It's no wonder that Paul starts raving about how wonderful Jesus is because his whole life, all of these things that he's studied, suddenly make sense in Jesus. The first thing he does everywhere he goes in Acts is he goes to the synagogue and starts opening up the Old Testament scriptures, speaking from the scriptures, and passionately pleading with the Jews to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of these scriptures. Those mysteries, that hidden treasure, don't let anyone fool you, they are now revealed in Jesus. You don't need anything else. That is Paul's point here. One more buzzword. This is the final one. In uh, chapter 1, verse 28, mature. See, another word for this in the original Greek is, 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 has this meaning of perfect. Being mature and perfect. So not something that we can really attain in this life, um, except through that God sees us through the lens of Jesus' blood. That he sees us as perfect. And so we are able to have a relationship with him. That gives us access to God. But we 
will be presented perfect on that final day when we have judgment and the book of life is opened you see in Revelation there is a book of judgment and everyone is called out there all our sins are called out and we are judged as guilty as worthy of going to hell but there is a separate book read it carefully there are two books there is a book of life And if your name is written in the book of life, you have a guaranteed eternity. So, if we want to know what real Christian ministry looks like, we should take a look at Paul and ultimately Jesus. If we're tempted to stray, then we should be looking to Jesus learning more about Jesus. This former student of mine said to me, I find it quite interesting. I'm, I'm going to maybe look up on the internet and look into it a bit more. And that may be incredibly sad. I said, rather than doing that, please, please, read your Bible, listen to sermons, read commentaries, learn more about the Bible so that you can identify these false teachers. So you can better argue against them you can better defend yourself against them you are less likely to be led astray if we are if anything else is proclaimed then we should beware if their ministry is without suffering we should beware if it is without warning with without admonishment then we should beware If it isn't talking about Jesus, if Jesus isn't central and pointing to uh, his perfection and the eternity that can only be gained through him, then alarm bells should be ringing. It is our hope here at IBCBI that opening the word of God every week and preaching what it says and not what we think because you need to check that. You need to come back to us on that. Is that what you think, or is that what the Bible says? Make sure it's what the Bible says, and not my opinion, or Craig's opinion, or anyone else who comes up here, their opinion. Check our interpretation. Read it for yourself, and decide, well, I don't quite agree with that. Come back to us on that, please. And say, I don't agree with that. Where else in the Bible does it say that? Where do you confirm that? That we can equip you to be prepared for the temptations that might pull you away from God. And that on that final day, we will see you in eternity. We long for that day in eternity where we can celebrate together. Please don't let anyone take that away from you. Disqualify you for that. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you embed your scripture in our, in our heads. That when we need it, your scripture can come forth and counter any of the, the clever arguments that might be made that we are aware and that we are warned about 
these dangers. Lord, we pray for uh, protection against those. And Lord, we pray that we, that we can continue to thirst and long after your word. That we can know you more closely and more intimately. That we can rejoice in this relationship with you. That we can have eyes for only you. And that we will meet you in eternity. And meet each other in eternity. Lord, we, I pray for this church. That you're preparing each and every one of, of these people for eternity. In Jesus' name. <coughs>